the volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www. 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. I am Jason Timp. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope you are all having a great start to your week. A loaded NBA slate tonight. And yes, we had a lot of stars miss the games for various reasons, but I still feel like we learned a lot 
We're going to get into a bunch of games. We're going to get into Lakers, Sixers here at the start. And then we're going to get into that game, that huge matchup between KD and the Nets and the Grant in Memphis. After that, we're going to get into the Jazz absolutely just folding in Boston against the Celtics. And then for those of you guys who stick around for the end, we are going to talk about the Phoenix Suns, a big road win on uh, in Minnesota. We're going to get to all of it. We're going to start with the Lakers, though. So, obviously, I was really looking forward to this game tonight because, you know, obviously the Lakers are starting to build some positive momentum, right? You know, we get this big win on the road in Toronto. Then, yeah, you have this really disappointing loss in Washington, but they're in control for the vast majority of that game. And then they go win in Cleveland and look better than they have all season, even with Anthony Davis for large stretches, because they just have a kind of an identity figured out, right? Like they're, they've kind of leaned into this five out identity for a few months now, but the effort was super inconsistent and they didn't really have the offense figured out because they were playing all of these non-shooters. Well, now they're playing all their young players. They're playing all their athletes. So they've got the five out identity mixed with their best personnel, mixed with some effort and some belief. And as a result, we've been getting some good outcomes, right? And so here we go to Philly at home on a Wednesday night in, in the crypto.com arena. I thought it was a really good opportunity for the Lakers to get a big win, especially since Philly has some very specific weaknesses. They're a better basketball team than the Lakers, but they have a weakness with their transition defense, which we'll talk about in a minute. And they have a low foot speed, which will typically cause them to have issues against five out teams that really spread them out. And unfortunately, LeBron had to sit. And we're going to get to that in a second because I'm going to go positive on the whole LeBron sitting thing. But what you saw, which was really interesting, is all of the things minus LeBron, everything that I just talked about, all of those things minus LeBron materialized tonight. And as a result, you had a very competitive showing against that Philadelphia 76ers team. The Lakers played super fast up and down the floor. They played incredibly hard. When they got into the half court, it was a lot of driving kick five out basketball and attacking matchups with Carmelo and with Russ and with Malik. That is the best way for this team to maximize its set of talent. And as a result, you saw a competitive game. Obviously, they just didn't have the horses to win a game like that, especially without LeBron with this team already struggling on the size front. That was going to be an issue. Obviously, the Lakers have to sharpen up a lot of things as well. We'll get a little bit deeper into some Lakers stuff in a minute, but I, I did want to talk about the Sixers because something seems a little bit off with them because like we talked about in our power rankings, just recently they're starting to trend downward and some things are starting to not look right. James Harden's not looking anywhere near as good as he did in that first couple of games. And what you're seeing is those weaknesses that I described Start to be uh, start to show up in, an, in a rather ugly manner. Teams know how to attack this team. So, for instance, if you got James Harden, who's actually a pretty good athlete, but he's lazy, right? Like he's not dedicated to sprinting up and down the floor in transition. You've got Joel Embiid, who's a very very good player and definitely cares about that kind of stuff, but he operates around the basket on offense. And he's slow-footed in a straight-line speed, so he can struggle in transition. Even when you look further down the roster, like Danny Green. Danny Green is a great spot-up shooter. He's great at defending bigger wings because he's got good size and strength, and he's a great positional defender. But he's not a great sprinter. Like, he's not going to sprint up and down the floor and hang with teams that play with a ton of pace. Georges Niang, another one of those guys. 
great shooter, shoots 40% from three, got good size, he rebounds well. But if you get him in a track meet, he's going to be probably one of the two or three slowest guys on the floor. And so what you're seeing is, the, you know, five, five out basketball is like the half court version of transition. You have to cover the most space. And then transition is literally a foot race. So if you can get Philly in a position where they have to cover a ton of ground, they're going to struggle because they're just not a very fast team. And then in the half court, so, for instance, if I got Joel Embiid and my defense is constructed around having Joel Embiid at the basket, defending everything that comes my way, but I'm running a five-out system. Now, obviously, when Dwight Howard's on the floor, it doesn't work this way. But when when they're playing without Dwight Howard and they're playing five-out, when LeBron's at the five or Wenyan Gabriel's at the five or Carmelo's at the five, now Joel Embiid has to be in help side by leaving a shooter open on the perimeter. So he can still protect the rim, but all it takes is one or two rotations before Joel Embiid has to close out to the perimeter. And when he has to close out to the perimeter, now there's nobody on the backside that has that same rim-protecting presence that Joel Embiid has. This is the issue with one-dimensional teams when you play a certain style, when you can keep the game in your style, when you can play really slow, keep things in the half court, they're going to be really tough to beat. Joel Embiid and James Harden draw a ton of fouls. All of the shortcomings that uh, James Harden has as a postseason player, Joel Embiid counters a lot of that. They have a good amount of shooting. And then on the defensive end of the floor, when they have their defense set, they are very big and long and athletic, right? Or they a lot of they're not super athletic, but they're very long and tall. So they can do a lot defensively in the half court. But if you can force them to change styles, that is where they can start to fall apart. If you make them play your style fast, track meet, up and down the floor, five out basketball, it plays directly into their weaknesses and they start to have issues. And we've seen a ton of that as of late. And it's something to keep an eye on. One other note on the Sixers. You know, this thing, and I, I've been talking about this for weeks with them. They are the most appalling team in the NBA to watch because it's not basketball a lot of the time. You know, when I say what what is basketball, I mean like playing the game the way that we all did from the time we were kids to the time that you're playing in your men's league or your women's league or whatever it is you're doing now, whether you played in high school or college or not. Basketball is about putting the ball in the basket within a uh, within a five-on-five five concept. Basketball, you would never see a guy at the gym, you know, do the KD rip-through to try to draw two free throws. That's not basketball, right? And what you saw, what you see so often with this team, and it actually hurts them on a lot of occasions, especially since the refs, you know, are, are allegedly supposed to be paying closer attention to this sort of thing, but they go, they deviate from playing basketball and they start to do their gimmicky bullshit and it starts to hurt the team. There was a pivotal uh, possession late, or I think it was early fourth quarter, where James Harden's running transition, and he's got Danny Green on his left side, and Malik Monk's kind of closing out to uh, James Harden at the top of the key. And Wenyan Gabriel's back in transition defense. He did his job. He sprinted back to the rim, because that's what he does, and he's super fast. Great transition, big. So Wenyan Gabriel's waiting under the basket. Malik Monk's on James Harden. Danny Green is standing completely unguarded, right to his left on the wing. James Harden, if he's playing basketball, will just make a swing pass to Danny Green, who is one of the all-time great three-point shooters, especially in transition. He used to kill with that when he was with the Spurs. He did a lot with the Lakers as well, running to the corner. Great shooter. Instead of playing basketball and making that read, he drove into Malik, tried to hook his arms. Wenyan Gabriel's right there in help. He 
piles into Wenyan Gabriel's chest and just throws his arms uh, arms up in the air and turns the ball over. And in the process, I don't know, we don't know what it is yet. It's either a knee to knee kind of deal, like like kneecap bruise or like a, a a bruise in his thigh. He's fine. He came back to play in the game, but he hurt himself doing it. So not only did he turn the ball over, not only did he miss his wide open teammate, but he got himself hurt just by doing gimmicky bullshit instead of playing basketball. And that's going to always be my biggest pet peeve with that team. There's a huge difference between guys who draw fouls because they play basketball so well that teams have to foul them and guys that do gimmicky stuff to try to draw fouls. That's the, that's the huge difference. Giannis Antetokounmpo draws a ton of fouls because he's just ripping through and going to the basket. Like he's not looking for the whistle. He's just going to the basket and people are hitting him because they can't keep him in front. KD, it's the same thing. KD's just doing his thing, operating with his dribble, getting to his spots and guys get out of position and they have to hack or KD's going to rise up and make shots. That's a completely different type of foul drawing. What Kate, what what Joel Embiid and James Harden do is fake basketball. It disrupts the flow of their offense. It literally is. It, it goes against making normal basketball reads. And as we know, even though they can get foul calls in bunches during the regular season, we know that stuff just doesn't work in the playoffs. And so if they don't get over that and start to play real basketball, that's going to be an issue. Especially you know, so much of this now is going to come down on their defense and James Harden controlling the basketball. Because like I said, they have to set the tone. They have to control the pace. And in order for them to do that, they have to get a ton of stops to keep uh, to keep their defense set. And then on offense, they need James Harden to play slow and keep the ball in the half court. They have a formula. Their formula still works. And that formula in conjunction with their talent will give them a puncher's chance to beat anybody. But if you ask me what's the most likely outcome, I think the most likely outcome is they run into some team that directly attacks their weaknesses, runs them off the floor with their foot speed, and James Harden and Joel Embiid go down doing their BS that they always do. So moving on to the Lakers. First of all, shout out to the Lakers for actually trying. This is the fourth game in a row where for the vast majority of the game, they gave really good effort which obviously makes that Washington Wizards game so much more frustrating because what a blown opportunity that was. Like this Sixers game tonight, if LeBron plays, Philly probably comes a little bit more intense and that game is still close. It still is a tough one for them to win without Anthony Davis. But you damn well should have won that game in Washington. That was a huge missed opportunity. But overall, this team is trending in the right direction in a lot of different ways. There's a belief there. There's a scheme that makes sense. They have settled on, for the most part, what their rotation is going to be in terms of the guy, the primary guys that are going to play alongside LeBron, AD, and Russ in various shifts at various moments of the game. They're starting to kind of round into form in so many different ways. So I get why it can be frustrating to have LeBron and AD in street clothes. I get that. But I'm going to go positive here. So obviously the Lakers haven't played since Monday. So LeBron spent the night in Cleveland on Monday, so he didn't have to do rest on an airplane, right, that night. So he gets Tuesday completely off. He gets Wednesday completely off. The Lakers don't play Thursday. The Lakers don't play Friday. The Lakers don't play Saturday. So he gets this full week, basically, to rest that knee for what's going to be an incredibly difficult playoff run if they have the juice to do it. If they if they ha- if they get past Phoenix and make a run at this, it's going to be incredibly grueling. They're going to have to probably win a road playoff game, single game elimination in New Orleans. If they're very lucky, that'll be at home, but that's still a tough matchup, right? Then they're going to have to go play whoever wins that other play-in game to then have to play the Phoenix Suns. That's a grueling stretch 
of high level single elimination and then and then uh, a playoff basketball. So it's going to be grueling. Giving LeBron some time off is smart, in my opinion. Now, Anthony Davis. Today was exactly five weeks to the day since Anthony Davis got hurt. And we've heard all kinds of reports that he's doing a ton of on-court work. He actually looks pretty good when I've seen him. So the way I look at this, Anthony Davis is probably coming back in the next two or three games. LeBron is getting six days off. The identity of the team is coming into form. The rotation is starting to get narrowed down to the right guys. Russ is playing better basketball than he has all season. He shot poor, like really poorly from the perimeter tonight, which I predicted. He shot like 47% on jump shots in the previous three games. It was inevitable that that was going to come down. He went two for 10 tonight outside uh, on jump shots. But outside of that specific thing, he finished around the rim great tonight. He applied a ton of rim pressure. Still classic Russ stuff. He was really bad defensively in the fourth quarter, whatever. We can get into that another time. But Russ is playing better now than he has this entire season. So with all of that coming together, the scheme, the players, the stars, you can actually start to see a, a, a like an actual functional route that the Lakers can take. There's a path taking shape. It's a narrow path. It's going to be a very difficult path, but there's a path taking shape. And that's very exciting. And that's why I wasn't too concerned about LeBron taking the night off tonight, even though I wanted to see him play. I think he's going to, I think Anthony Davis will be back soon. LeBron looks great physically, whatever this knee injury was, obviously there's issues with swelling and, and fluid that come with the knee. But as you guys have noticed watching the game, uh, these games over the course of the last couple of weeks, it looks like he's regaining a lot of his explosiveness. So whatever was going on with the knee, I, I, and obviously we'll probably learn a lot more about this knee issue when we get to the off season, uh, just like he did with his ankle and with his groin, but he at least looks as explosive as he needs to in order to legitimately do what he needs to do to be, you know, playoff LeBron and to do everything that like, cause like I said, from, uh, from the all-star break or from the trade deadline, when they didn't make a deal, the only way this works now because they, their margin for error massively shrunk when they screwed up the offseason and butchered all their signings. The only way this works now is if LeBron and Anthony Davis go on a playoff run for the ages. They, they need to look like the first and second best players in the world in order for this to work. But LeBron very much looks like that guy right now. And Anthony Davis literally was destroying everybody he was playing in the handful of games before he hurt his foot because he looked lighter. He, he just looked, he looked more confident. He was more mobile. His, his lift was better. If he has that still, when he comes back from this foot injury and LeBron is still that guy and Russ is a, a slight net positive instead of a big net negative, And they're playing their best players. Now we're talking about a team that legitimately has a chance. It's going to be extremely difficult. They have the hardest path because they have to go through Phoenix and the plan but it's a realistic path. Start your bracket with a bang. Right now, FanDuel Sportsbook is giving new customers a $150 instant bonus guaranteed. That's right. You'll get $150 in bonus site credit, and all you have to do is place your first bet of $5 or more. How you bet the bracket is up to you. You could choose from the money line, totals, prop bets, and so much more. I'm going to be all over Arizona. I'm from Tucson. They have NBA size and athleticism. I think their defense is going to carry them. 
Plus, with the cash out, the ball's in your court, so you can close out your bet whenever you want before the game is even over. Join FanDuel today with promo code JasonT, then you can place your $5 bet to score $150 in bonus site credit guaranteed. That's promo code JasonT on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, Dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. 
If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Really, really interesting and entertaining game tonight in Memphis. I was very disappointed that John Morant didn't play. But, you know, there's this interesting phenomenon that happens in the NBA. And I think you saw it a little bit in that Minnesota Timberwolves Suns game in the early stretches of the game when Minnesota was in control. When you have really young teams that have a lot of athleticism and size that are at home and that are motivated for whatever reason, they can be like a buzzsaw that you're running into. Uh, You see this a lot in the NBA playoffs. Better team at home goes up two games to nothing. They're the better team. They're usually the older team. They're the higher seed. They have the veterans. Then they go on the road. It's like the Cavs when they go on the road to, or when they go on the road to Indy or the Miami Heat with LeBron when they go on the road to Indy uh, and play game three when they're up two games to none. That raucous environment, super in- motivated team, young, athletic, feeding on the energy of the crowd, it is literally a buzzsaw. And I, I remember seeing once upon a time a stat from Vegas. Uh, somebody uh, was looking at Vegas results of this kind of thing. Underdogs game three down 2-0 at home. I think they win like they cover the spread like 60% of the time. It's 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 a there's data that backs this kind of thing up. Don't quote me on that specific number, but there is data that backs that kind of thing up. I think that's what happened to the Brooklyn Nets tonight. You have John Morant out. You had like all you have to do is look at the the Memphis Grizzlies fans and the way they were acting on Twitter all day. They were so excited for this game. The 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 arena was electric. They like we talked about in the show on Monday night, when you sub John ja Morant out, who is not a good defensive player, even though he's very important to that team, he's not a good defensive player. You put another athlete on the floor. Obviously, when Tyus Jones was out there, it's not great either. But when Tyus Jones was off the floor and they're playing, you know, they're basically letting Dylan Brooks run the point. They are super, super athletic now. That even further makes that concept that I'm talking about more complicated. And you saw that basically the Nets run into the buzzsaw, fall way behind. They gave up a million points in training. I think they had 22 fast break points that they gave up in the first half and like 11 offensive rebounds. Those are two stats that are irrevocably attached to effort and, and athleticism. If you are a bigger, stronger, faster team that's playing harder, you're going to get a shit ton of offensive rebounds and you're going to run up and down the floor and get dunks. And that's what they did in that first half. Then the Nets settled down in the second half and got to what they were doing. Through the entire game, KD and Kyrie were getting whatever shot they wanted. Even without Seth Curry as a spacing threat, even playing a lot of minutes of Andre Drummond and Bruce Brown in the front court, which we're going to get to in a minute, but they were just getting whatever they wanted. So I knew as soon as they kind of tightened up some of those details, as soon as they started getting back in transition, as soon as they started boxing out, they'd go on a run and they did. And the Nets actually, I think they went up 104, 101. They kind of had control there for a minute. And then that buzzsaw came back and their defense locked in. They got a bunch of stops, and Desmond Bain made a bunch of threes. DeAnthony Melton made one. They made a bunch of threes in that fourth quarter run, and it was just too much for the Nets. I don't read too much into that. I'm still a huge believer in what they do for a couple of specific reasons. So I wanted to dive in. First of all, we got the word today that basically for the rest of the season, Kyrie Irving is going to play in every home game. So I told you guys that while I was worried about that, it didn't count them out for me. I still believed in them as a threat. So that even that takes it to another level with Kyrie's availability. He's playing some of the best basketball of his career. He's had over 100 points 
in his last two games. Kyrie is clicking right now. So having him for every game is a huge asset. But what is so what is so fascinating to me about this team is the way they can get away with poor spacing. So we learned a lot about this over the course of the last few years with the Lakers, right? When you have guys like Dennis Schroeder or Russell Westbrook or LeBron James or Anthony Davis, basket attackers, guys that their bread and butter is putting their head down and going to the rim. Maybe Anthony Davis doesn't deserve that credit. That's another conversation. But for those other guys, they get they put their head down to the rim. Spacing is vitally important for those guys because spacing means driving lanes. Spacing means I just have to beat my guy off the dribble and maybe one help defender instead of driving into a thicket of bodies. But Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are uniquely equipped to handle tight space environments because of their polish and their ability to create shots off the dribble. So for instance, if I made any slasher play basketball with Andre Drummond and Bruce Brown on the floor, they would have absolutely no luck getting to the basket. They would struggle with that throughout the game. It would be a problem for them. You know, especially like early LeBron before he became a jump shooter, he would have really struggled with something like that. But KD and Kyrie, because they are at their most comfort beating one defender in a one-on-one situation to get to a 10 to 15 foot jump shot, they don't care how many bodies are under the basket. They will, they'll go to the basket as a counter. They'll drive to the rim and try to finish a layup here and then as a counter to their bread and butter, which is operating in that mid-range space. A great example of this was Kobe Bryant in the late 2000s, you know, with, with Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum. You know, the, Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum, they clog things up in there, which is so good for the defensive end and for their offensive rebounding and their ability to control the paint. But Kobe's ability to functionally operate in that mid-range space when there was no space to operate under the basket is why he was the perfect star for that team. And it's why that team was the best team in the league over that stretch. It's a very interesting concept that I've had to feel like, because I've been concerned about that Andre Drummond, Bruce Bound fit for a while, whether or not that would become an issue. Now we'll be we'll see over time, because maybe when they get James Johnson in there, some of these other guys, let's say Seth Curry does get hurt. It'll be interesting to see if a better defensive team that's got a little bit more length and athleticism, if like a like a Milwaukee Bucks or a Miami Heat, if a team like that can find a way to make them pay more. But it's it, the ability, the luxury of keeping Bruce Brown and Andre Drummond on the floor. That's defense, guys. That's rebounding. That's physicality. That raises the physical profile of those lineups. That that makes it so that KD and Kyrie don't have to carry as much of a load. I'm a big, big believer in what they've got going on. I I I don't care that they lost tonight, in Memphis. I still think they're a top tier contender. Absolutely, very well could be the team holding the title. They're not my number one pick. I'm probably going to go with Phoenix still, but Brooklyn, I have them right there with Boston, like right underneath. Phoenix. Really, a couple quick notes on the Grizzlies. No, they're not better without John Morant. We went over this last night. It's great that they keep winning these games. They're 15 and 2 now without John Morant. It's weak schedule up until tonight. Tons of size and athleticism, defense that will manufacture wins in the regular season. But the Nets are not a great defensive team. They actually had a really bad defensive night, even though they've been pretty good defensively overall against a really good defensive team, a team like Boston. If you don't have a guy like John Morant that can break the team down off the dribble at the start of possessions, their offense is going to completely fall to pieces. So I, I'm, I, I like Memphis. 
It's they're a cool story. They need John Morant in order to have any chance. And I still have them like they're 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 a, a level below the Boston's and the Brooklyn's and the teams that have like a real chance to win the title. All right, moving on to the Jazz Celtics. So really quickly on this one. So the Celtics continue to just completely beat the shit out of everybody they're playing, including good teams. They went into Denver and demolished them the other night. They demolished the Jazz tonight. I, I mentioned a while back that when we did our first power rankings, uh, I think it was like a month ago, and I talked about how the Celtics were playing so incredibly well, but that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown weren't making threes. They were both shooting like 32% from three over that span when they were doing so well. And so I was like, wait till they start making shots. Like this could get even crazier. Well, Tatum in the last three weeks is shooting damn near 50% from three. And then tonight, Jalen Brown was making them. Tatum and Brown tonight went eight for 14 from three. They lit the Jazz on fire. There was nothing they could do with them. But the most interesting subplot about that entire game to me was not only are the Celtics really good, but their, their identity, their specific style of play, switching everything, five out basketball, directly attacks what the Jazz do well. Like we talked about earlier with Joel Embiid, oh, I'm not going to get into it again, that in five-out basketball when you're driving and kicking, you can get a guy like Rudy Gobert out of the paint on a rotation or two, which generates space to get to the rim. That's the advantage of having Al Horford in the corner and Robert Williams setting the high ball screen. There's nobody under the basket, and that just opens things, it opens things up and makes Rudy Gobert cover in space. But most importantly, the Utah Jazz are a screen-and-roll offense. Almost everything they do offensively involves a high screen with Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell trying to create stuff off of that. The only guy they have that does the only guys they have that do isolation are Jordan Clarkson and Bogdan uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, and they're just not very great. They're not very good basketball players. They're going to play isolation basketball against really good scores. They're going to lose those matchups on most nights. So when you switch these high ball screens that involve Conley. And, and Donovan Mitchell, it disrupts everything that they do offensively. And it kind of turns them into a, it kind of turns them into a jump shooting team. You know, Donovan Mitchell's taking like 11 threes a game over this last couple of months. That's for, for, for their best score, arguably their best athlete, their guy that's supposed to be living at the rim. That's really dependent on jump shooting, which kind of takes me to one kind of larger topic that I wanted to hit on that I think is re re relative to all of these teams and a lot of the things we've been talking about lately. Because we have, you know, this up-and-coming class of centers, right? Like we have Joel Embiid and we have Nikola Jokic, two players that many folks think are the best players in the league. This, uh, this revival of the centers. And then we have these really good guards, right? We've got John Morant. We've got Donovan Mitchell. You know, we've got these up-and-coming guards in the league. But then we've got our wings, We've got our Giannis, LeBron, and Kevin Durant, who have seemingly fallen by the wayside in these conversations about who the best players in the league are. And what blows me away that people keep gla glancing over with this kind of thing is those guys, those big guys, those are those wings, they don't have weaknesses that you can directly attack. I can run on Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic all day long. They are way too slow. I can put them in a five-out system and make them rotate on the perimeter and massively limit their defensive effect. You're not going to get in a track meet to beat LeBron, Kevin Durant, and Giannis. They're going to win the track meet. You're not going to make LeBron, Giannis, and, and KD 
guard too much on the perimeter, they're going to lock people up out there. Going to the guards. This is the this is the key. This has been one of my biggest issues with Steph, and I got in trouble saying this years ago. We won't get into it. But the thing with Steph is when you're a smaller guard, you can't rely on your physicality to create shots. So when you're switching defenses, right, and those screen and roll actions don't work, all of a sudden you're looking at a guy eye to eye and you have to score. Now, what made Steph Curry so great is he could also do that to a certain extent, right? But all these other small guards like Donovan Mitchell and, and you know, Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley, like if they're in an isolation situation against a set elite defense with all the wings and help and everything, they're going to struggle to create their own shot because they're small. Whereas if I'm LeBron and it's the pivotal possession of the game and the crowd's going crazy and it's 98-98 with three minutes left and there's eight seconds left on the shot clock, I'm fighting for a position at 15 feet. I'm leaning on you with my 270-pound frame. I'm catching the ball and I'm fading over either shoulder and I know I'm getting that shot off. That's the advantage of that. These wings, these hyper-versatile Swiss Army Knife wings that we have, Kevin Durant, Giannis, and LeBron, they are the best players in the league. That archetype will always be the most functional archetype to succeed in any basketball environment. We got way too ahead of ourselves with these big guys, and we always get way too ahead of ourselves with these little guards. Don't forget that the wings are the guys that run the league. All right, before we get out of here, I wanted to talk about the Suns and the Wolves. So another team that the Timberwolves played that was a, uh, you know, top-tier team, right, or whatever you want to call it, playoff team. And like we talked about, every time they've played one of these teams, there's been a star missing. And once again tonight, they get to play one of them without a star, Chris Paul, at home. And they lost. And they lost for a lot of the reasons that I have been hammering home about these two teams in particular. Like I told you guys, one of my biggest fears with – Minnesota, I like Carl Anthony Towns. He's a huge matchup problem. Even though he's not a great defensive player, they have so much athleticism on the wings. With uh, They have so much athleticism on the wings now that it kind of covers for that. Everything in the front court for the Timberwolves, I like a lot. But they have two volatile guards in the backcourt. They've got D'Angelo Russell, and they've got Anthony Edwards, who's young. The two of those guys tonight combined for 25 points, seven rebounds, and 11 assists combined. And they went 10 for 26 from the field and three for 13 from three. Those are the guys determining the outcome of most of these possessions for the Timberwolves. And I really like Anthony Edwards. I think he's going to be a great player one day, but he's young, young guards. Decision-making is the number one thing young guards struggle with. They don't, they don't see the floor well enough yet. Anthony Edwards is way too reliant on his jump shot at this point in his career. That's something he's going to learn as he gets older. And then D'Angelo Russell, he's fine. D'Angelo Russell's fine. He's just, he's a, what, what would we call him? A, a league average starting guard, right? Like, he's fine. Like, he's not going to be the guy that's going to go toe-to-toe with Devin Booker. Hell no. Certainly not Chris Paul. He's not going to go toe-to-toe with Steph Curry. He's not going to go toe-to-toe with John Morant. That backcourt is going to be what inevitably spells the doom of this Minnesota Timberwolves team, and that's the part that they got to figure out. I don't know who they can go for, but that's going to be the piece that they have to build out. Love the front court. Love all the athleticism. Love Carl Anthony Towns. they got to figure out the backcourt. And then with the Suns, I keep telling you guys, DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges are the future stars of this team. Well, DeAndre Ayton tonight, 35-14. and 14. He's averaging 1.06 points per possession on post-ups, which is the same as LeBron this year. 
that's how good of a post player DeAndre Ayton has been. In a small role where he's not getting touches to build rhythm, and all he's allowed to do is shoot jump hooks, which he's been awesome. That that like power dribble, little turning right-hand jump hook, he can make it out to like 10 feet now too. It's crazy. He like There was this whole conversation earlier this season about whether or not Robert Sarver should pay him the max. If they let him go, that is a catastrophic mistake. The future of this team is Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, and DeAndre Ayton. You get rid of Chris Paul before you get rid of DeAndre Ayton. Campaign was awesome again tonight. Campaign's always awesome. Campaign is a really good backup guard to have to get dribble penetration and stuff. We talked about this a lot in previous podcasts. You find any other option before you get rid of DeAndre Ayton. He, and he gives you the best option to hang with the big, he's a, especially with the Jokic's and the Embiid's out there and the Giannis is out there. You need to have somebody like that, that can hang with these bigger bodies. I think it would be absolutely insane if they let DeAndre Ayton go. I think he's a star in the making. I he's, he's so good that it's not that stupid that the Suns didn't take Luca instead. That's how good DeAndre Ayton has been. He's averaging over 20 points. Since the Chris, or I think he's averaging right around 20 points since the Chris Paul injury on like 65% shooting. That's just outrageous numbers alongside all of the talent that's on that roster. The Phoenix Suns, top to bottom, are by far the most talented team in the league. And they have a guy who can create shot for, shots for his teammates and a guy who can create shots for himself. That's why I think they're the favorites right now. One last note before we get out of here on Devin Booker. And this kind of applies to John Morant as well. But once again, we had uh, a statement. I, gosh, I think it was... Isaiah Thomas, I think it was Isaiah Thomas, can't remember, somebody, somebody famous, some NBA player, said something about how Devin Booker should be in the MVP conversation. And then Devin Booker quoted the tweet and said like, yeah, but they changed the criteria for based on your name. And I I wanted to talk about that for just a minute because it's something that bothers me. You know, everybody's got different criteria for MVP. That's clear. But there are, a couple of things that we've all kind of agreed on, you know, like one, we care about team record. We want to have the best player on the best team in the league. Right. And then two, we want, you know, the guy who's the most valuable. What happens when that guy's off the floor? How does it impact? How reliant is the team on that guy? That's part of it. But the last part, and it's always been something that I've thought is important is the guy's got to be one of the best players in the league. Like the guy's got to be, in the conversation for best player in the league. Those are the criteria for the MVP, in my opinion. And Devin Booker and John Morant are having unbelievable seasons. I do not want to undercut that to any extent. You guys have heard me say, I think John Morant is better than Russell Westbrook ever was. That's how high I revere that guy. I think John Morant is better than Derrick Rose, uh, John Wall, Russell Westbrook, any of those guys. He is the evolutionary next step in that in that type of archetype of hyper-athletic point guard. I love John Morant. He's not a top-tier superstar. I really like Devin Booker. One of the most polished scorers we have in the league. I've said on the show, he was one of the few bright spots in the 2021 finals. When Chris Paul was fading, when DeAndre Ayton was struggling with foul trouble, when they were getting run rough shot over by, by Giannis Antetokounmpo, when all that was crumbling around them in the four losses, there was this guy on Phoenix Devin Booker, who is showing some flashes of all-time great scoring 
over an unbelievable defensive player in Drew Holiday. That's how much I revere those guys. But they're closer to the 10th player in the league, 10th best player in the league than they are to the first best player in the league, which to me automatically disqualifies them from MVP. Guys, let's be honest. Why are the Phoenix Suns and the Memphis Grizzlies so good? Is it because Devin Booker and John Morant are MVPs? Or is it because those two teams are incredibly talented? It's because they're incredibly talented. The, the, the Memphis Grizzlies are unbelievably athletic and big. Jo, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. literally looks like the next version of Anthony Davis on some nights. You know, De- Desmond Baines having kind of like a weird Clay Thompson mixed with Sean Marion slashing, defending type of season. He's awesome. You know, and then Phoenix, I literally just said, is the most talented team in the entire NBA. So it's awesome that John Morant and Devin Booker are playing well, but those teams are not winning because those guys are MVPs. Those teams are winning because they're incredibly talented. There are much, much better MVP candidates out there who are on teams with really good records, who are also immensely valuable to the product that the team is putting on the floor and are comfortably in the conversation for best player in the world. Those are the guys that should be considered at this point. I love Devin Booker, John Morant. Just this ain't your year, guys. And that's, it's okay. Maybe one day if you get better, maybe one day on a, on a, in a different situation, you can have that consideration. But I, I'm not going to lose any sleep over those two guys not being in the MVP conversation. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. I sincerely appreciate you guys taking the time to come hang out. We have a few nights off here. We will be back on Sunday. As always, I appreciate your support, and I'll see you in a few days. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.